Everybody, welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news every week, right here on the internet. <laughs> I'm Andrea Renee, once again joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher, the blonde nerd. The blonde nerd, and I'm actually blonde this time. You I'm are. I'm getting more and more blonde. It's great. I love it. It looks great. Thank you. Are and you going to go Final Fantasy blonde soon? Maybe. Was that like silver blonde? Yeah. I've never done that. I don't know. We'll see. That'd be cool. Also, hi, it's me. <laughs> it's Brittany and Christine Steimer. Hi. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, ladies. How are you doing this week? We're doing We're good. Okay. <laughs> if I sound a little sniffly, uh, sniffly, I do. I am being invaded by a cold virus that's trying to take over my life, but I am fighting it and good. it's good. I'm glad. Fight it because we need you. I'm glad that you're back from vacation. How was um, Halloween Horror Nights? It was really, it was really good. I love Halloween Horror Nights. It's just what blows my mind every time I go is you can pay like an extra 150, maybe more to get a fast pass to skip the lines because otherwise these lines are like two hours long. And if you pay the extra money, the lines cut down to five minutes. But the amount, the amount of people who stand in these lines, it blows my mind. And every year it just like it baffles me. That's my takeaway. Well, the ticket itself is pretty expensive, isn't it? Like a hundred bucks just to go. Yeah, it's expensive, but you can hammer out all the all of the haunted houses in one night if you do the fast pass. Otherwise, you have to wait in like two hours per line, and there's like five or six houses. So you, yeah, you have to, yeah, it's no bueno. Were any of them like? So I've heard more and more about these haunted houses that are experiences and they actually like touch you or like make you do things oh. which is like i'm not down with like i'm <laughs> fine with like a normal haunted house if someone's jumping at me that okay, yeah fine. those exist but not these are nothing like that these you just okay. walk through and they, the little people inside like push you through they like try to get you through them as quickly as possible and people just jump out at you i mean they're really well produced it's just yeah they don't they don't touch you no worries yeah that's my rule in a haunted house don't touch me <laughs> yeah no touchies please because i'm like i feel like somebody might accidentally get punched like if someone's coming at me like you don't yeah, know don't, right fight or flight don't punch yeah. anybody no Steimer, that's that. not good i mean i feel like they <laughs> um, deserve it but that's okay <laughs> well i'm glad that you had a great time of Thanks. course it was halloween earlier this week um i ate a bunch of candy i put my bowl of candy outside this year, uh, mm. I do live in a neighborhood where there's quite a few trick-or-treaters, foot traffic, and I wanted to play games because I'm so far behind because I spent a lot of the weekend watching Stranger Things 2, which is amazing, by the way. Um, and so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to – I had this giant bowl of candy. Uh, you guys saw how big it was when you were here last time. And 
I am just going to put it outside with a sign. And if some greedy kids take handfuls of it, that's fine. I don't even care. But what I did not anticipate was one greedy bastard taking the entire bowl. What? So, yeah. So John got home from work at like 630, 645. Um, And he's like, oh, yeah, the bowl's still full. We're good. He's like, do you have like refill candy? And I was like, no, I just put it all out there. Like once it's gone, it's gone. Um, Like where I'm in the middle of cooking dinner, like 15, 20 minutes later, you know, we see like the kids coming up through the window in the front yeah. and, you know, we're minding our own business. Uh, we get a loud knock on the door and we're like, oh, why would somebody knock the candies right there? So John goes to the door and they're like, oh, hey, your candy's out. Do you have more candy? And we're like, what? And when I say a big bowl of candy, I'm talking like three of the giant combo bags that Whoa. you get at Target. We've seen like this big, bowl. Like the big one. This is yeah. a big bowl. Holy crap. And John said it was full. When I put it out there, and I was like, some greedy bastard literally dumped that entire bowl of candy into their bag and walked away. And like, that is why we can't have nice things, people. It was probably <laughs> was a teenager. So <laughs> but it was so early still. That's the thing I didn't get. You know, it was like seven o'clock. That's so dumb. If you're listening yeah. to this, we will find you. We have yeah. a particular set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i just wanted to get that on my chest i did tweet about it but i was mad but at the end of the day my goal was to get rid of the candy i just wanted it to go to more than one (laughs) child it probably wasn't a child It was probably like a teenager let's keep the innocence to the children because i did hear one one young girl who probably was like maybe like seven or eight years old who was trick-or-treating with her brother um, yell at him because he took more than one piece of candy. She's like, it says take only one. When in reality, the sign said take a few. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Maybe I she couldn't it was quite cute. read yet. I don't know. That's, I mean, it's fine. I was That's like, cute. you guys take whatever you want. Just, I don't want it back in the house. I need it gone. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, um, apologies, ladies and gentlemen, for digressing from video game conversation to talk about Halloween, but um, I do want to remind you, if you have not yet been to facebook.com slash lights off show, our brand new show debuted this week. Hooray! Um, It's very exciting, and there's lots of screaming, there's lots of jumping, there's lots of (laughs) pointing at the screen, there's lots of clutching each other in fear. Um, It's a special Let's Play series we did with some of our favorite scary games uh, for Halloween, and it's exclusively on Facebook. So if you want to watch it, you have to watch it there. You can watch it through the Facebook app or the desktop client, whichever is your preference, but it will not be available on other platforms. So just I know some people on Twitter had been asking asking, can I watch this somewhere else? And I was like, sorry, you can't. It's a Facebook exclusive deal. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys go there and follow the page and, you know, like the episodes. We had a lot of fun. Well, Britt had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> we were I like, <laughs> shooting these episodes. I was um, so and- in my element. Oh, man, it was so much fun. Andrea was like, all right, what mm-hmm. games should we play for this? And I was like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, so she she was definitely in her element um, for that. It's so, impressive um, to me how Brittany... So when Brittany screams, <laughs> she maintains eye contact with the scary thing happening. Whereas when I scream, I close my eyes and I like retreat back into myself like a turtle. And she's just like... Ah! 
there, but like forward, <laughs> like forward home. Full eye contact, yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> true, and it's it's weird because I can't watch scary movies. Like I have to like be hiding behind something. But apparently, when it comes to video games, and I never realized this about myself, I freaking make eye contact with whatever it is trying to kill us. At least I can identify the killer. You you could. That's true. Yeah, Thank I you. was like, what was that? You have to fill me in because I've been screaming by myself for a few minutes. <laughs> Pretty much. I got you, Samer. Um, so please do check that out. Um, our merch has also launched. You can get t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs on our merch store. You can find that at teespring.com slash stores slash what's good games. Or you can find that direct link uh, from our Twitter account, uh, from our what's good games.com website. Or you can also find that on our Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash what's good games. So please, if you guys are interested, a bunch of you have been sending us photos of you wearing your merch. That is super awesome. Um, thank you so much for your support. We think it looks really great. I actually haven't got the tank top yet. And, um, someone just sent us some photos of the tank tops, and they yeah, look, super look real cute. good. Um, so thank you for all your photos. Keep them coming. We want to keep seeing them. We love seeing you guys rep, rep the perp uh, of what's good games. <laughs> The perp. Not the perpetrator. And because it's the beginning of the month, we will be doing those turbo patron shout outs next week once everything has cleared. But thank you so much to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games for all of your support. So look for your shout out next week. Something that we forgot to mention that I absolutely would love your guys' support on is uh, your vote. We're nominated for a golden joystick. Britt, can you tell folks happened. more about it? I would love to tell you all about it. I am trying to get us all set up right now. So let's just give you one second. This is awkward. Um, so, Cyber, I also don't know how that happened. The lovely folks over at Games Radar put on the golden joysticks, and uh, we found out we were nominated um, quite a while ago now, and the voting has been open. Um, you guys can find the link to vote either directly on the Games Radar site, or you can find it on my Twitter, on the What's Good Games Twitter. Um, but you do have to go through all of the categories in order for your vote to count. You can't just vote for the streamer page. Um, so we click vote. You have to go through all of the categories. We are number 12 and we have been nominated for best streamer slash broadcaster. And this award celebrates the personalities who've helped us find new games to enjoy and new games to enjoy them. Oh, a new ways to enjoy them. Creating a positive. <laughs> I was like, that makes no sense. Created a positive atmosphere around our hobby. Each of these nominees has cultivated a welcoming community of fans. So we are nominated among many other very, very talented folks i mean it's crazy like jacksepticeye markiplier hannah from yogg's cast polygon and waypoint i mean it's and then us <laughs> we're like I, how did we get thrown into this mix <laughs> yeah, i remember when we so i i found out first from a friend in europe because obviously time zone difference and i'm like i'm an early bird so i wake up and i'm like hey guys my friend's saying that he voted for us in the golden joysticks what what? Can somebody look? Because I'm about to start driving. Uh, <laughs> and you were like, Andrea, I remember you being like, he probably meant that he wrote us in on like, on like a like fill-in-the-blank. 
<laughs> and then I asked him, I was like, is it a fill in the blank style? And he was like, no, this is like a legitimate thing. And then we looked it up. We were like, holy crap. Whoa. Yeah. Actually nominated. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And we're super grateful to be nominated. Very humbling, of course, especially in our first year. But the voting closes very soon, I believe. November 7th is the deadline. Um, So if you guys uh, are inclined, we would love your vote. Um, I know up against those gigantic um, competitors, we probably don't stand much of a chance, but we're going to give it a fighting go. The old college try. Um, So head on over again to gamesradar.com. You'll find the links. I believe they're just right on the homepage, right? I think so. So if you go to gamesradar.com slash golden joystick awards. It'll start you at the voting process. Oh, it says three days left to vote for your game of the year. What's that? That must be a different poll. But yeah, um, if you just go to their site, you can find it. It's great. Um, so thank you so much, everybody, for um, for your support. And that's cool. And who <laughs> knows? Maybe we'll win. Woohoo! Probably not, but maybe. We'll try. There was quite a bit of news happening. So Paris Games Week is going on. And while the show itself is not traditionally a source of a lot of new previews or new hands-on with a bunch of titles, Sony has decided once again to put on a big PlayStation media showcase, which they had very early in the week. And I was up and watched it. I know the girls also watched it. A lot happened in that showcase. Then they called it their second half of E3, but I think the criticisms of it being just more of the same from E3 is pretty valid. But we did get to see some new demos and some new trailers or some games that we've already heard about. But I think the thing that was missing was a lot of concrete details and information about some of these titles, but there's still a lot to cover. But also, (laughs) they still have PSX and they always do a conference there. And I actually thought it was sort of weird that they made another mini conference out of Paris Games Week because... It's just sort of random to, number one, pick that show. Like, not Gamescom, but Paris Games Week. It does fall more in the middle. But then, like, you've got another show in a month and change that you need to, like, impress us at. So... It's really... It is really odd why that's happening, um, why they chose to do that. I'm not quite sure what the difference in scope is going to be. Perhaps they're going to focus you know, more on smaller titles or maybe some more partner titles. I just, it's it's really confusing to me why Paris Games Week. I know that they want something in the European territory to really give the European studios and Sony Europe a chance to shine and like have their own show and have their own message, which is really in, previously why they've had a showcase at Gamescom, which is by far and away, you know, a, a much bigger show from a media perspective. Um, so regardless, though, they did show quite a few stuff and surprisingly a lot of PlayStation VR stuff. So uh, we'll start off with that since that, you know, kind of did take up quite a big chunk of their show. Uh, we got a bunch of new game announcements and um, we got some release dates for some games that we already knew were in the works. Um, from all of these VR games, I'm just going to read them off real quick. We've got um, Megalith, Sprint Vector, Bow to Blood, Ultra Wings VR, League of War VR Arena, Star Child, Stifled, Dead Hungry, Blood and Truth, and Invector. Um, ladies, did any of these strike you as something that would draw you to playing more PSVR? Mm. So 
here's here's my thing with VR is I love it for horror experiences and this might not be a fair comparison, but if these games weren't VR, they would just flop and everyone would point their fingers and laugh at them. So we're still at that point where a lot of these games are tech demos, like or maybe slightly advanced tech demos where you can do some cool things out that you have the controllers and whatnot. Um, Stifled looked kind of interesting to me. It's a really interesting premise. So it's the it's the game where everything is pitch black. And the only way you can illuminate your your path is by making noise. Now, the downside to this is that that also attracts your enemies. And so I'm not sure, like, how you need to balance that. I'm sure, like, you can probably throw, like, rocks to distract the enemies from following you or something. But it looked pretty creepy. It's a really interesting art design as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know me, I I definitely don't want to play anything scary, especially in VR. <laughs> so, like, I'm probably never going to try that out, just to be, just to be clear. I'll try. <laughs> uh, but I, um, I, I did think that some of these looked good. Obviously, you know, uh, Dead Hungry has been uh, released already for mm-hmm. Oculus, and now it's coming to PSVR. But I love Pixel Junk um, and the games that they make. So I definitely am looking forward to trying that. It felt um, somebody was talking about how it kind of looked like VR overcooked. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love no. it. You're just throwing <laughs> hamburgers at these zombies. It's hilarious. And like fries. Funny. Yeah, funny. yeah, exactly. So I thought that that looked um, really neat. Steimer, was there a game that you thought looked intriguing? None of these will ever make me want to play VR. However, I liked... Well, it's more like... Here's the thing. I really liked... I watched Blood and Truth, and I was like, that looks really fun. Like, I really mm-hmm. like the idea of just being like... Pute. Like, I like the idea of shooting much people. Go figure. Uh, but the <laughs> problem is, like, for me, I look at my living room, and I'm like, I'm never going to have VR. Like, I don't want to rearrange everything in order to not knock my knock everything over right like you're not alone (laughs) i don't have the space for it or really the strong desire but i did think that blood and truth looked really fun um Mm -hmm. so if there was like a booth set up somewhere at a show i would probably go in and like try the demo would you ever Um, try just stationary vr so you don't have to rearrange everything but then what's the point why wouldn't i just look at it on a screen Look at okay, so <laughs> like all but like what, okay, ninety nine percent of my VR experience has been stationary VR. Where I just sit here and I move with a controller, and I and it is it is an experience. You don't have to get up and move around. That's what I'm getting at. So mm-hmm. if that's something you're interested in, because I like it, kind of looks like a James. I call it like a James Bond simulator in a sense, right? Yeah, it, but but I think what appealed to me was the idea of like you duck behind a corner and then sure. like you pull out and you shoot. So like I that's like fair. the idea of the motion control in that instance mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to play that with just a controller because i would feel like why am i not just playing hitman or something like i don't know i mean these are fair complaints and something and a reason why vr has been struggling you know and um you know a, another story that came out later this or, or later in the week um that you know i do i don't think we have as like a standalone bullet point so i'll just quickly mention you know the ccp the studio behind eve online and mm. eve valkyrie announced this week that they shut down their vr team over a hundred people laid off from the company because they no longer will be working on virtual reality titles i mean so i think that that is indicative of where they see vr going which is why it was so surprising to me um to see well i guess it wasn't really that surprising to see sony double down but I think that a lot of other people are looking towards Sony and their investment in VR and going, okay, are you hanging on purely because you're so invested in the hardware and you've spent so much money in R&D and shipping 
hardware to people that you have to provide software? Or do you truly believe that you see the profitability that they've, you know, that the margins that they've made so far and the games that they've shipped are worth it so that they're going to keep investing? I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to get a true answer to that question. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it makes you wonder, like, in 100 years, when we're all dead and worm fodder, will Sony be the only one who that makes sense to get VR for? Because, I mean, if you're going to, at this day and age, if you want an Oculus or you want a Vive, it's like, or you can get a PlayStation 4 and get a gaming console as well as a VR console as well. And so maybe they see the potential in that as well. Just a thought. I don't know, but I think Moss is really cute. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh, it is adorable. Like I saw somebody like, oh. tweet out a photo of their baby in a quill costume, and it was oh. like the cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that sounds adorable. What was that game, Andrea? You tweeted about in Vector, the rhythm music one. Oh yeah, so that game looks very much like. Um, so it has the same kind of track motion of your traditional frequency amplitude rock band, but it feels a little bit more like um, like Thumper. Mm. If you guys have played that game, so um, it, it just it's um, Invector. I think isn't that the Avicii game? Yes, that's it. Yeah. So um, Avicii, of course, uh, EDM dance music electronic producer DJ known across the world is teaming up to make a piece of video game software. Um, and, um, I love rhythm and music games. And I had said that if anything was going to get me to play PSVR probably would be rhythm and music, but clearly the draw hasn't been big enough for me to put on, put on the headset to play thumper or res. <laughs> so, well, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Res and I look- played, um, but I got to play it at a show and, um, in like the bodysuit in the, Oh, that's right. Which sounds really creepy. But like in the vibrating body No, I know exactly suit, what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. But I know, but like if somebody's listening and they don't know what that is, it sounds <laughs> really weird. <laughs> but um, they made a special suit for Rez. Uh, and like none of your dirty parts, but like your extremities and things dirty would parts. vibrate like along with the with the music. And that was really cool. But again, like to me, it's not an experience that I would ever want at my house but it is a sort of like no. a fun novelty experience to have maybe it, like say I could see it fitting in at arcades, maybe like arcade bars. So for people who are wondering what this is, so the, the game director Tetsuya uh, Mizuguchi wore the suit on stage and it lights up, but it takes like three or four people to get you into the suit. Um, and while you do, feel things in it i don't know if it's like because the suit is so expensive i don't know if they would ever like like rent it out to people no. you know what i mean i think yeah. that was like that'd be gross too specifically for that like stage demo and then they brought it to a couple conventions to like you know show a couple other people i am um, friend of the show anthony carboni got the chance to try it on when i was in the same demo space uh with him and they were like, who wants to try it on? And I was like, he clearly is like salivating. <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let him wear it and I'll just film the whole thing. Um, so it was um, it was pretty fun. But yeah, um, I have yet I have yet to play that in VR. It's sitting on our console. It's downloaded. Just never played it. Ah, fair um, but there was a lot more than just VR on stage at PlayStation's media showcase in Paris. 
we finally found out what Sucker Punch is working on. Ah. And I think it kind of shocked a lot of people. I did not see the Ghost of Tsushima coming. Mm -mm. So this game is an open world game set during the era of the samurai in feudal Japan. It's coming exclusively to PlayStation 4, of course. Um, And it's set in the year 1274 where samurai warriors are the legendary defenders of Japan until the fearsome Mongol Empire invades the island of Tsushima. Tsushima? Tsushima. I think it's Tsushima, but I'm not I even going to try. I wish Alexa were here. She would know how to Alexa say it. Alexa will pronounce it correctly the next time she's on the show. Uh, wreaking, wreaking havoc and conquering the local population. So um, it looks cool. The graphics look beautiful. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm not intrigued by feudal Japan. I'm just really? not. And I know a lot of people were super jazzed about this. And I'm just like, meh. I'm yeah. jazzed because it's a weird choice. And I like that it's a weird choice. And I like that it's different. And I'm happy for Sucker Punch that they aren't, I don't want to say forced, but like I would have thought that they would make another infamous game because I'm assuming, assuming, assuming <laughs> PlayStation would um, like want to feed that cash cow a little more. So it makes me happy to see developers able to work on like a new passion project. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it looked really cool. Yeah, so for I'm me, excited to play. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was gonna say for me, it kind of has the same allure as a game like Red Dead Redemption, right? Like that Red Dead Redemption provides that Wild West atmosphere that I feel like we don't get to visit often enough in video games, let alone feudal Japan. And for me, that's extremely intriguing. And plus, I'm just excited about not having to play as a white guy. Mm, also true. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's going to be a, an action stealth adventure game. And open world. I was watching um, some of the developers talk about it, and it sounds really uh, ambitious. But if they pull it off, it's sucker punch. They're great. I think it could be really good. I'm really excited about it. There is a lot of people that are super excited. I think like the idea of feudal Japan, which means automatically it's going to be some kind of hack and slash for combat, right? Because you got swords and stuff. Yeah, swords. Um, I'm just like, ugh, I don't know. I just. Not that the like, the wind was let out of my sails, because I didn't have any expectations for mm-hmm. what Sucker Punch was working on at all. But when I saw it, I was like, cool. That looks cool. It's definitely not on my most anticipated list. I would need to see something pretty impressive story-wise that would need to draw me in from a narrative perspective to really get me engaged in that. Because when it comes to like historical period piece stuff... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I just a lot of it isn't super intriguing to me. Um, but which is why, you know, I'm surprised that I'm really digging um, AC Origins as much as I am, which we'll talk about in the next segment. Um, but yeah, Sucker Punch. I, they finally I was revealed most their next surprised. Thing. I think I was most surprised this and then the Last of Us trailer that they were shown at Paris Games Week because this reveal felt out of place to me. At Paris Games Week. This should have been like yes, a PSX. Yes. Yeah. Reveal. 100% I agree. agree. Yep. Um, I also was surprised. Um, well, we, we'll talk about Last of Us 2 in just a second uh, and why I was surprised. But um, before we get to that, um, of course, Destiny 2, Curse of Osiris, the first expansion pack. We got to see a little bit of footage from that. Not a lot. 
Um, just like a little bit of a teaser, uh, but we did get a release date, December 5th. Which is uh, that soon. That expansion is coming. I'm excited. They had, so December was when they released the first expansion for Vanilla Destiny, and I cannot wait. What's Good Guardians? I said this before, but I've not forgotten about you. <laughs> I did jump into the uh, to the clan chat this week and was like, I'm coming back. Just give me another week or two to get these big November and October games out of the way, and then it's going to be all Destiny all the time. John's been playing it, um, and I keep watching him like play, and I'm like, oh, I want to play Destiny instead. And I'm like, no, Andrea, play something else. <laughs> Do your job. Play something else. I know. The thing that bugs I know. me is that I'm like reading about, again, and this is why I always quit at their first expansion, always, because they're like, see this carrot? bump and i'm like eh, that's just so annoying and i know that i know it's not the um it's not like a unique thing to mm-hmm. their game by any means other games do this but for some reason it just feels more annoying when they do it and i don't know why and especially like they're talking about the character level is going to bump up to 25 i'm like are you seriously gonna make me level my stupid character more steimer you know that to get to level 25 is not gonna be hard you're gonna play through care. the story missions for the campaign I and bam you're gonna hit it don't so want to do it so how do you feel about <laughs> guild wars guild wars expansions then Guild Wars expansions do not boost the level. They don't boost the level. No. Oh. If okay. I logged in today with my characters from level 80 from two years ago, mm-hmm. I can still play the game. You can still play the game if you're lower level. You level up but, as you play the game. That, yeah, but I'm saying they don't... The, Guild Wars does not bump the level cap, but they do... They have a tiny gear grind, but it's a gear grind that you would barely notice unless you wanted to do raid content. And that's the only reason you would ever need the higher tier gear. If you want to just do regular stuff, you can have exotic gear and be fine. And you get exotic gear super easily at the beginning of the game. The 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 grind in Guild Wars is all visual for the most part. So like you the would, things that look really cool take a long time to get. So you would prefer that they leave the level cap the same, just add more content. But they already, the reason that I'm bitching about the whoa, my voice is going. Um, <laughs> the character level is that they already have a character. They already have this gate. This gate exists, and it's the light level. And that's why I find it weird that now they're like, well, now you need your character level. Which yes, to Andrea's point, will be super easy. But I just am like, really, why? Like, why are you bumping that? You're adding two gates. Why? Por qué? Um, because they want to entice people with end game progression to keep them in the game and keep them playing and going up in levels is super satisfying and it makes it feel like you're accomplishing something by playing instead of just staying at the same light level. Like the grind is what people keeps people coming back every week, right? Like the idea like you're grinding from like 299 to 302 to 305, you know, like you're crawling up that ladder is, you know, the addictive <laughs> part of the game loop. I'm so, laughing because what do you... I, what? <laughs> I just did the gun to the head thing for if you're, if you're only listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that um, is... <laughs> sorry, I feel like... I've just let Destiny, it out. I just want to love you. I want to love you, Destiny. I really, really do. Um, I just find it. Oh, what I want to say is, I saw that they had an update, and they were basically like, they add. I feel like they maybe made RNGesus nicer. Was kind <laughs> was kind of the gist of the update. And they were like, players will get more rewards for everything, essentially. 
Um, and so I found that interesting. And But what I would really like to see is I would like to see a chart of the player base from Vanilla Destiny to and like the comparison, basically. Like I want to see where people fell off in Vanilla Destiny and see where they fell off in Destiny 2. I want to see if they improved at all or if they followed the exact same arc because I have a gut feeling it's similar to okay, the first. Well, uh, no, go ahead, Britt. No, I was going to ask what the hell this DLC is about. <laughs> we haven't oh. even talked to so, so I don't that's a yeah good point. So, so the DLC <laughs> the, the DLC um, I'll read the little blurb here okay. uh, that we have so um, Ikora Ray who is the warlock vanguard set up the story of the curse of Osiris and she says while we have been fighting an ancient gate has opened on Mercury an army of past and future machines amasses they intend to reshape the universe in their image but there is one who has glimpsed this dark future he was my mentor Osiris the most notorious guardian in Vanguard history. Once his dangerous ideas nearly destroyed us and he was banished, now he has returned. But he will be a powerful ally? But will he be a powerful ally or bring us death? You are the one thing they have not foreseen. Go to Mercury and find Osiris. Time is not on our side. Exactly. So original Destiny, there was a PvP Crucible specialty match called the Trials of Osiris, where Uh. it was only available on weekends, and it was 3v3, and it was incredibly difficult. And you only got to go to Mercury if you won nine consecutive matches in the Trials of Osiris. So... Um, only like the like most elite PvP players made it to Mercury because it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of team coordination um, in order to be able to make it to Mercury. And now there are uh, they have said before Destiny 2 launched they said that there was going to be more content on Mercury uh, in addition to just the Crucible maps which we see now. And so this is clearly mm. it, right? There's going to be story content set on Mercury. We're going to meet Osiris. We got to see Osiris in the trailer that day debuted at Paris Games Week. Um, and hopefully we'll get to like have some conversations <laughs> with the most notorious guardian in Vanguard Ooh. history. But I like how they're like, will he be a powerful ally or bring us death? And you're like, well, he's probably going to, we're gonna, probably going to fight him at some point. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't imagine that he's going to bring us cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So in the in the expansion, you're going to explore Mercury in its mysterious infinite forest. There will be new story missions and adventures, new themed weapons, armor and gear to earn, new cooperative activities, new competitive multiplayer arenas, and more. So it's the first of two planned pieces of downloadable content. Uh, together, they comprise the game's $34.99 expansion path. And the second add-on is scheduled to release next spring, much like House of Wolves released in the spring after um for destiny i just so. heard you say house of moles and i know it's not that <laughs> house of wolves I, I know it's wolves but like i bet it, i thought what a funny name that would be for an expansion <laughs> um but don't house worry of we'll be, moles. no no that would be terrifying <laughs> would be really their, teeth, their teeth are so big um so let's move on from this and we'll revisit uh curse of osiris because i'm i'm sure we'll be playing it um in the in the weeks to come um so another big piece of news that we saw was a lengthy um gameplay trailer from detroit become human so this was expected um given that you know quantic is a european studio um, and in, i think they're in paris aren't they yes so they revealed some pretty harrowing footage so um in the scenario in the trailer 
um, you play, um, you know, this unknown protagonist and you see this android Kara with this little girl, Alice, and her father, who is not a nice man. And he, you know, approaches Alice and there's like a very terse conversation that happens and it's clear that it's going to get violent. And there's a series of choices that you have to make. Um, about whether Kara intervenes and whether she doesn't. Does she run with the girl? Does she protect the girl? And it got to a place that made a lot of people uncomfortable. How did you ladies feel about this trailer? Well, I thought it was interesting. You were playing as Kara in this particular time. Okay, um, that's my mistake. And what I liked that they showed her because she was the initial mm-hmm. um, droid or whatever. Like, she was the concept star. That everybody like cry- I lost I cried at that um, tech demo that, that they showed with her. Wasn't that like GDC twenty twelve? Like that was a it while was a long ago. Time ago. Yeah, yeah, that was intense. Um, so they like brought her back, and I was like, oh, hi. I don't know if it's like the same one, but similar idea. Anyways, but uh, so what you're referring to with I assume is the what I thought. Like I thought that he killed the kid in one of them in one of the scenarios it, it really did look like that yeah because what's happening is Kara Kara I see Kara it's probably Kara is standing downstairs and the dad's really pissed so the dad I, I kind of like read between the lines and I looked through this trailer we don't have to pick it totally apart but what it sounds like is the dad Todd destroyed Kara once before and they reset her and now she's back and Kara doesn't remember this at all and so she gets into the home and the girl Alice is like acting kind of like standoffish and eventually the girl gives Kara a key she opens up a box and there she finds drawings that Kara made of Alice broken and like fluid pouring out of her arm and Kara on the floor crying and so then at that point I think Kara understands that Todd is a really messed up guy so anyway yeah so Todd's going upstairs and Alice went up Stairs. He's like, Dad's really mad, Alice. And then he's like, Kara, you stay right here. And then at that point, you're presented with a choice, it looks like, to go after Todd or to stay put. And I think, Steimer, what you're talking about is after he goes up those stairs, it shows you hear the girl screaming. Mm-hmm. And then it shows clips of him like holding her seemingly lifeless body, putting her on the bed and saying, Daddy's not mad anymore. Everything's fine. And then if you look, it looks like her eyes are open, but like dead open. It was really unsettling. Right. And. <sighs> I guess for me, I didn't, I'm used to this from David Cage, I suppose, <laughs> um, because uh, Heavy Rain w- could get so dark. It didn't mm-hmm. necessarily, but there were some really heavy endings oh, there, yeah. no pun intended. Um, and <laughs> like, there's one where, where Ethan hangs himself, I think he hangs himself at the gravesite of if you just fail to save um, Sean. And he's like, oh, like, Wow. Okay. You know, and like, there's so many bad things that happen, and he's he doesn't. I think in video games, children tend to be like a sacred thing, and like nobody usually touches them or kills them. Like they usually are mm-hmm. protected peoples. And David Cage just doesn't care. No. And I kind of respect that in a way um, because what he wants to do is make you feel some sort of emotion mm-hmm. and challenge you, and like with horrifying situations. And I think. What I like most about these Detroit trailers is how they rewind it. And they're like, it could have been different. And they sort of give you an, a look at the branching storylines and how many there are. Yeah. Um, it's kind of good. like this looks even worse in the sense than heavy rain of like how many different things could happen here. Uh, so I'm 
really, really eager to play this game. I think it looks fascinating. Yeah, it definitely was hard to watch because I think it touches on some very real scenarios. You know, you have the father who's sitting at the table who says, you think it's my fault your fucking mother took off? That fucking whore walked out on me for a fucking accountant in front of his child who's like probably no older than like nine or whatever she is. Um, And obviously he's abusive because he's broken Kara once before. And I mean... It made me feel uncomfortable, but not uncomfortable enough to the point where I was like, oh, this is terrible. They shouldn't have released this content. It made me uncomfortable, like, as I feel like a video game like this should. Yeah, it's it's a tough topic because I saw some people in my feed talking about how while it's OK for video games to tackle tough, serious subjects, they don't know how they feel about the gamification of something as serious as child abuse or domestic violence. The idea that you take something like hurting a child and give player choice as to whether they do or don't do it and whether you put it in the frame of it being a game and what the idea notion of a game means and how that just is really unsettling and didn't sit well with a lot of people and how they're going to have kind of come to grips with like, is this okay? Am I okay with it? Are we like kind of giving a pass because it's David Cage and he kind of is a little crazy and has explored really dark themes before, or do we collectively as an industry need to say, Hey, we have to draw the line somewhere as to what is and is not appropriate um, in interactive entertainment. I wholly disagree. Because I think either games are art or they aren't. So you can't have it both ways. You can't want to celebrate and say that games are beautiful and artistic and then be like, but by the way, we want to censor you because we're uncomfortable with this theme. No, you don't get to do that. So either you take it all and you say it's art and maybe if you don't like the thing, don't buy the thing and don't, you know, you don't have to buy this game and you don't have to play these scenes. You don't have to watch this. Um, and but you can't just like flip it around and be like, well, now, like, we're all going to grab our pitchforks and go to Paris and like <laughs> yell no, at was, David Cage. <laughs> it was interesting because, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Naughty Dog in The Last of Us 2, which also had a lot of controversial um, stuff in that trailer as well. But it, talking about, you know, being controversial and, t- and t- touching on, you know, very serious themes, um, Danny O'Dwyer had been tweeting about The Last of Us with some people talking about, you know, like, you know, what is and is not okay to show in marketing material specifically. So I think, you know, when we frame it as that versus just content in games, because I agree with you, Steimer, I don't think censorship should come into play. I think people should be able to express themselves as part of the beauty of the freedom of speech liberties that we have here in the United States. It's like, I might not agree with how you're expressing yourself, but I believe in your right to express yourself how you see fit. I can, as a consumer, choose not to witness or buy that expression from you, but I'm not going to take away your right to still create that expression. However, things that are on stage used as marketing materials specifically to promote the sale of a game, do you think that that belongs in a different category? I'm pretty sure the ESRB still has to clear all that stuff. They do. So we already have someone watching. But it said rating pending. And there's no way that any game with a rating pending rating or even with a no rating would ever make it into a store shelf anywhere. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. But my, my, my point is like, 
I'm just remembering at some of the places I worked before, and even if the game hadn't quite received its rating yet, they would still clear some of the trailers, uh, and they would they would make edits. They would be like, "That's too much blood. Like, you can't show that." So I think, and now I may, I don't know how this specific. Right. My worked. question, Steimer, isn't about whether the ESRB cleared it or not, because they'll clear things and put uh, adults only rating on it. Right. Sure. Um, I'm talking about the ethical implications of using incredibly disturbing and morally ambiguous scenes and content as marketing material for your game. I mean, it's an interesting question. I don't really know how to answer it. Um, because I didn't find this that disturbing when compared to The Last of Us. Right, so let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about The Last of Us 2. So um, at first, I did not know this was The Last of Us 2, like many people out there. I thought this was Days Gone, for sure. Because um, I, like most of us out there, know that The Last of Us 2 is still quite a ways away from release. So I did not anticipate them showing such a lengthy... Um, Gameplay demo. Now, it didn't seem like a live demo. It seemed like a very choreographed, like, CGI demo to me. So uh, I don't think that this would be gameplay. This seems like a cutscene. It's Mm -hmm. definitely Um, an in-game cutscene, for sure. um, So um, in the scene, if you guys have not watched it yet, um, we see uh, two people dragging a third person by the arms into a camp and kind of throwing them down like they're a prisoner or they're going to be interrogated. And there's like a back and forth. There's a woman hanging and there's a woman who's kind of uh, overseeing the interrogation. She's got a knife. She goes to make a move to like cut the woman that's hanging like in the stomach. And there's like some fan theories. This is potentially Ellie's mother. And that's why they're going to cut into her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like how I, I haven't gotten super deep down that fan theory rabbit hole. Um, but there are definitely lots of Reddit threads if you're interested in checking that out. Um, and then the girl on the ground is really where it got super violent. So she essentially, they say, she says, a uh, clip her wings. And I thought that this was going to be some kind of supernatural thing. Uh, instead, like literally, they meant it as like, no, like break her arms off of her body, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which was really horrifying to watch. Because listen, there's a lot of violence in video games. We know this. We play a lot of violent video games together. Um, but the level of brutality shown in this trailer is something that I'm very unaccustomed to seeing, even though I play a lot of shooters and I shoot a lot of people and murder a lot of people in video (laughs) games. Um, but something about it, and I think obviously it's a testament to Naughty Dog's ability to humanize stories and really make you feel emotions and have like a connection with what's happening on screen. But I, I really didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like that it was on stage. I didn't like that there was no like secondary warning, that there was a warning way at the top of the show that somebody told me about that said like there will be mature content shown, but to go through and watch things like Loco Roco 2, you know, and <laughs> never never be prepared for this coming. Um, yeah. Brittany, how did you feel when you watched this? So I had a feeling it was The Last of Us from the beginning, especially when she said clip her wings, fireflies, what came to my mind. Um, mm, so the fir- interesting one. So the first time I watched the trailer, I was hopped up on cold meds. And I was like, maybe that's why it didn't affect me. Because I was like, it was brutal, sure. But it didn't make me like feel sick or ill or like other things I had heard people say. So I rewatched it again today when I was not hopped up on cold meds. And I have to say, like, I don't 
it was disturbing to watch, but I don't see an issue with it. And that could be because I knew I didn't know, but I had assumed it was the last of us from the beginning. And so I know the world of the last of us. It's very like fucked up. You know, there's a lot of bad things going on. And typically with these apocalyptic settings, there's always cults. And I believe the woman that goes to what we're calling Ellie's mom, which we don't know this for sure. The lady hanging by the noose. She's like, you have sin in you or you basically you have something in you that's sinful. We need to cut it out. And that's just kind of a, that's kind of something that happens in the horror apocalyptic fiction. It's just a thing. So I'm accustomed to it. And I didn't feel disturbed by it. Like some people were upset that they were women, but I'm like, these women are badass. This woman hanging from the noose is like doing everything she can to stay alive and fight for her life. The other woman who was dragged in second uh, spit in the other lady's face and she got one of her arms like brutal, brutally hurt, whatever you want to call it. And then she's still pulverized, right? Pulverized. But despite all of that, both of them together were able to take out with the assistance of the archer. They're able to fight back and take over the camp, take over the camp. So I guess to me, it's like in my mind, apocalypse, they don't they don't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Shit's going to go down. And so I didn't find it disturbing. Long story short. I found it extremely disturbing. I mean, I found it disturbing. Like, <laughs> let me clarify. It was messed up, but I didn't walk away from it feeling like that should never should have been shown. That was way over the top or anything like that. I, I don't think that it shouldn't have been shown, but I will say that it shook me to my core. Like I, yeah. I sat and I, so I watched like the, I got, I had to watch it twice or I ended up watching it three times, but like I caught like the tail end of it um, because I'd had meetings in the morning. I didn't get to like watch live alongside with everybody. So I came in as as she'd already had her arm broken. It was like she's leaning up against the wall and they she's like cut her down. Like that was the point where I, I got in the first time I watched it. And I was like, oh, OK, that's cool. It's Last of Us. Neat. You know, like because mm-hmm. you, you miss all of the terrible things if you come in at that point. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm going to watch this from the beginning. Watch it. And then I'm just like, oh, and like my hands were in front of my face almost the entire time. And I was like, ah, ah, ah. like I was just having like when she has her knife against the stomach. I was like, oh, God, like, please, <laughs> please don't. Uh, because um, something that Andrea didn't mention is like there are other corpses already hanging mm-hmm. and they've had their gut. They've, they've what do you call it? There's a word for it. They've been um, they've been sliced open and their entrails are hanging out. I think there's a specific word, but I don't remember what it is. And gutted, gutted, gutted is probably yeah, sure. That's the, the most basic term yeah. you could think of. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh, what for the love of God, don't like just. Ugh. And I, I think the reason it gets to me more is I am an extremely sensitive person. When I see something happening to someone else, I feel it happening to me. Mm. So when I feel that or like when I see the knife going on the stomach, my stomach, I'm like, <gasps> like, I feel like someone is doing it to me. And I'm like, get away, get away, get away. And then when they are like pulled the other chick down and they like start hammering her arm, I'm like, oh, you know, it's so it really got to me that. And I want to say, I think Naughty Dog has super ramped up their CG on their faces or their animations on their faces because holy crap, like it almost looked like I was watching a movie. Mm-hmm. and yeah the acting Look, was so great. on point and i was just like i was so impressed but also so disturbed and i felt slightly ill after watching it and i was slightly shaking after watching it and even hours later i went to lunch and i was like i'm not even really that hungry wow <laughs> like i just i have i have emotions about this and i don't know how to it was intense <laughs> yeah i am um... 
I didn't I didn't like watching it. Um I also just um, I don't like playing super realistic violent games. That's why I generally don't play military shooters. Um I prefer space alien shooters because it's not real. It's very, you know, very fantasy. Yeah. Um and I just I I was disturbed. You know, and I think that that's what they were going for, right? Like they wanted people to be shook, right? They wanted people <laughs> to feel uncomfortable <laughs> and to to feel the pain that they were going through. So I, I guess mission, yeah, mission accomplished there. But um, yeah, it was surprising. So content aside, um, obviously everyone's going to have you know varying degrees of opinions on the brutality in that trailer. It was shocking to me that they didn't save this piece of content for PlayStation Experience, given yeah. that Naughty Dog is such a flagship studio for PlayStation. And this title in particular, you know, was revealed at PlayStation Experience and is such a hotly anticipated title for the PlayStation fan base. To put it at Paris Games Week felt a little off. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. It's the whole conference, I mean, felt a little off, I guess. I don't mean that like in a super negative yeah. way. It was just kind of like a, a neck, a, almost a neck scratcher. That doesn't make any sense. A head scratcher. <laughs> Let me scratch my neck. You can scratch your neck. Again, yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> um, what did you, uh, before we move on, because we, we've spent a lot of time talking about Paris. Um, what did you ladies think of the Shadow of the Colossus uh, footage that was in that show? Oh, that's real pretty. Holy crap. I never played the original, but uh, damn, that looks good. <laughs> it was kind of mind-blowing. There's a scene at the end of that trailer where uh, it pans out. You're looking at this bridge and the lighting and all. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Oh. I I actually didn't get to watch it. I think that was one. I, did, I missed it. Mm. Well, I went back should- through and watched highlight trailers, but I, I didn't manage to see that one. You should definitely check it out. It looks great. Um, Marty Sleva over at IGN put out some hands-on impressions because he got the chance to play it, um, the build that they had there. And disappointingly, they did not have the updated controls in that build. So while he said it was beautiful to watch... You know, um, his cape flapping in the wind and, and to see <laughs> this, you know, you know, majestic colossi in, you know, HD, um, the controls when he got into a battle and the camera movements were still real bad, real janky. Mm. And Shuhei Yoshida has insisted that there will be updated controls in the game. And I anticipate, you know, that we'll get a better look, hopefully a different look either at PSX because it's slated to be coming early next year. Um, So I don't know how much more time they have to show another demo, but the idea that they would put out a demo relatively close to launch with less than, you know, three, four months to go um, is kind of kind weird. of weird to me. Yeah. Like why would you show such something so beautiful with, with janky controls? Like why, why did you do that? I mean, that's kind of how I feel about most of eco games. <laughs> <laughs> they're real pretty, but God, sometimes they're frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll have to, you know, wait and see. Hopefully we'll get some hands-on time with that in the coming weeks, and uh, they'll have those updated control schemes into the build. I know that builds aren't easy to make. I was talking about it earlier this week on Games Daily, like putting together these vertical slices to show at press conferences or at conventions or at media briefings takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of t- a lot of team members and time to put these things together. And most de- developers don't have dedicated teams 
solely making marketing materials like this. And so any time they spend making a demo for E3, for example, is time that they're taking away from the production of the overall game in the timeline. So um, perhaps that was in play here, that they didn't have a team set aside to really focus on putting the updated controls in. But then you I'm ask yourself, give- why didn't you wait until PSX? And but, yeah, you know, that's, that's, okay. that's a great question. That's a great question, Brittany. Thanks. Why didn't you just wait until PSX? <laughs> The lesson here is, why didn't you do this at all, PlayStation? You should have done, like, a, you could have had the VR here, um, Detroit here, and, like, maybe a handful of other, like, the, the indie titles. Yeah, like, like, like the, de- the Destiny those, stuff, yeah. Yeah, like, save some of the other stuff for, yeah, you wouldn't want to announce the, the Destiny things at PSX because it would already be out. But, um, but yeah, there was, like, so many, there was a few things where I was like, that really feels out of place here. I wonder if PSX yeah. will be chock full of JRPGs, because we didn't get any of that here. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. I, I would Possibly. guess so. I was surprised that they gave that Aloy Monster Hunter World integration also. Yeah. <laughs> Paris seems like another good thing that would have been perfect at PSX. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're not you. even doing a show at PSX. There um, you go. I haven't gotten any media briefing announcements or anything for that show yet. So, oh yeah, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> so who, so who knows? But um, uh, okay, so we're gonna put a pin in the Bears Games Week PlayStation news and um, just briefly give you a couple other blurbs here before we end this to move on to the next segment. Um, worth noting, Telltale has announced the final season of The Walking Dead, and it has been announced that writer Gary Whitta will return. So if you played The New Frontier. Uh, you know that more was on the way for Clementine's story. Um, Reading from GameInformer.com, today Telltale officially announced the final season of Robert Kirkman's zombie-infested world. To conclude the tale, Telltale is bringing back writer Gary Whitta as the story consultant, who is best known for his work on Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and the book of Eli. Whitta also wrote the fourth episode of Telltale's first season of The Walking Dead. Um, The final season hits in 2018 for ps4 xbox one pc mac ios and android and in addition to the announcement of the final season telltale also revealed the walking dead the telltale series collection for ps4 and xbox one which launches on december 5th the collection will include all 19 episodes on a single disc and is also releasing digitally it includes the most recent season as well as visually enhanced versions of season one and two 400 Days, and the Michonne miniseries. The set will run you $49.99, and you can get a peek at the visual upgrade in a new trailer that was released this week. If only they had updated the engine. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> we don't need updated visuals. The, the visuals, visuals are fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's everything else. It's The fact that can it's you built make... on popsicle sticks is the problem. Yeah. Can you make them not walk like... like herky jerky people okay that would be great um okay so really not much to discuss there um we'll see more of that game i'm sure um very soon but uh another thing i wanted to touch on briefly unless you ladies had some poignant thoughts that you would like to add nope no okay um you guys heard us previously talk about loot boxes in Battlefront with the star cards. And now EA and DICE have heard the roaring of the internet about this issue. Um, they have said that they will be making some changes of the grinding and pain for what the game calls crates. So um, before and during the beta, Battlefront 2 would only dole out weapons and abilities above the base tier through these crates. And now while that on a 
its own was super annoying, it did still encourage players to pay for crates in order to just get the best weapons and abilities from the beginning. Or, of course, you know, you get frustrated and you pay for crates in hopes of losing less. Because, <laughs> um, you know, if you're not as good, you want better stuff. Now, DICE has heard the uproar about this, and they've promised to make the following changes. First, epic star cards, the highest tier of these star cards will be available at launch, have been removed from crates. You're also going to need to reach a certain rank to craft upgraded star cards, and weapons are locked behind specific milestones, and class-specific gear and items can be unlocked by playing as them instead of just having them locked inside crates so yay um, progression outside of crates good yeah. job guys <laughs> yeah you did it you kind of you know watered down your pay to win that you clearly built into the game um yeah. so now it's more about obviously putting time in to unlock the weapons instead of playing as a specific class which i know was another complaint that people had for example, you know, getting heavy weapons will require playing as a heavy and reaching a milestone like kills and wins. Now, crates are still incorporated into the game, of course. They're not getting rid of them. But now you do not need to do everything. Excuse me. But now do not do everything, which makes uh, marks, marks. Oh, my gosh. It's okay. Marks a major <laughs> difference from how it used to work. So um, you can find a full explanation over on the Star Wars Battlefront um, website if you are really interested in the fine details. But this is good. Uh, it's a necessary needed step. I still think that we're going to see once the game launches that these star cards are going to continue to be an issue in the crates. But at least that they did some immediate work with tuning. Clearly, a beta is meant for tuning. That's why they have betas to balance and tune things. But I think that they probably didn't anticipate people being like but, flipping tables I mean, over but, these crates, but, right? Would they not anticipate that? Come yeah. on, like you really, you literally made your game pay to win. Like this seems well, like a very good starting point. Like this, this revision. Like this seems like okay. Like I could handle this as like a first round beta. Impl- you know, implement this into your beta. But that first one, like, what do you think they were thinking there? I mean, they can't have dummies working on their team. They you don't. know what I'm thinking? They're thinking that they're looking at how much profit they made from 2015 to 2016 in in-game content. And they're thinking, clearly, people are paying for this. So let's give them more ways to pay. And that's what they did. They put in more ways to pay. We, we talked about this exact same issue when we talked about the cancellation of the Star Wars title that Visceral was working on in favor of tailoring it for more of a live service experience. Like, clearly, people by the millions are paying to the profit of billions for these giant publishers. So that's what they're thinking. They're like, well, clearly people are paying, so we're going to let them pay. You know? I mean, um, so no, I, Andrea, actually, I, sorry, I just because you just brought it up, and I forgot about it, and I wish we'd talked about it. Um, Jason Schreier already managed, of Kotaku, to get the inside scoop on what happened with that Star Wars game. And of course he did. <laughs> I know. I was like, holy crap, this man's amazing. Because uh, and it was sort of what we uh, had speculated in that uh, you know I'd mentioned like if you're missing your milestones if you're not quite hitting deadlines like the team isn't doing what it needs to do like you're, you're what do you expect right and so it was what was fascinating what I the knowledge I didn't have was how small Visceral had become over the years and the team working on that game was only like forty people at one point like that's a Real small team for something for number one a Star Wars game, a triple A Star Wars game, an uncharted aspirational Star Wars game. Naughty Dog is hundred like well over a hundred people. I don't know how many specifically, but plenty. Um so anyways, if you are interested in more of that, it is on Kotaku. Go read about it. 
extra, extra. Read all of it. Was really, it was a really well done piece. Yeah, he he uh, he gets the scoops. Um, cool. So now you know they're making tweaks and changes to Battlefront Two, which is coming out in like three weeks. I'm excited <laughs> to play that campaign. Looks good. Yeah, I want to. Um, I just want to play the campaign and maybe like same. boop around for a minute as a droid in multiplayer and then bounce and, and get utterly like, destroyed. I really just want to walk around and I want to go boop 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 <laughs> and then I want I'm gonna get killed and then I'm gonna leave. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so we'll have to maybe make that a stream then, Styver, so you can boop around for the for the peoples to More watch. More than happy to do that. <laughs> okay, um, that's all the news we're going to talk about this week. I know we missed a couple stories, but um, this segment has ran extremely long. That's um, why. And been. yes, um, yes, I have the pillow. Please here. hold the pillow up. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we come back after the break. We have games to talk about because there are so many games to play right now. So um, take a break. Grab a drink. We'll be right back in just a minute. This episode of the What's Good Games podcast is brought to you by TakeThis.org. Most of us spend a lot of time thinking about our bodies. Gain a little weight, lost a little weight, back hurts from sitting at a desk too much, stomach hurts from too much avocado. But how much time do you spend thinking about your brain? There are a lot of simple things that you can do every day to keep your brain in shape. Take breaks from work, get enough sleep, drink more water, put down those screens. Well, you know, as much as you can. Now, it sounds simple, but taking care of your body's needs can actually help your brain, too because it's all connected. And sometimes your brain needs more help, and that's okay too. This is just one of the things that we learned from our friends over at TakeThis.org. TakeThis has been working to bring the mental health care community and the video game community together since 2012. If you or someone you love is feeling not okay and could use a little advice, visit them at TakeThis.org. And if you have the resources to donate or volunteer, TakeThis.org is where you can do that, too. It's okay to not be okay. Take This. What's good, everybody? Welcome back. We are back from the break here to talk about our hands-on impressions from what we've been playing this week. And man, oh man, is it a good time to be a gamer. Oh, God. So <laughs> we've got something for Nintendo Switch, something for Xbox on PS4, and of course, PC has pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> PC Master Race. <laughs> yes. So um, let's start with Brittany. Hi. Uh, have you been playing something other than Divinity Original Sin, or are you still hardcore into that? I'm very much hardcore into that, but I'm trying to pull myself away. It's kind of like you and Destiny 2 right now, because it's Mm -hmm. such a long game. Like, I think I'll probably put 120 hours into it easily by the time all is said and done. And that's just like the first run of the campaign. So I'm trying to play other things. I managed to squeeze in about four hours of Mario Odyssey. And it is so incredibly charming. It's just one of those games that you play and you just feel good while you play it. The vibrant colors, the music is really well done as well. It reminds me a lot of music you would hear in a typical Zelda game. Um, 
And just collecting all of the moons and just the, the atmosphere of each individual world. And it's so fun. I love it. I just need to play more of it and stop playing South Park and Divinity. <laughs> it does look really beautiful. And it's, um, I, I have it downloaded and it's patiently waiting for me <laughs> to really deep dive into it. Um, I heard that you can kind of stream your way through the main campaign relatively quickly, and then a lot of cooler stuff opens up after you beat the boss, um, and then you go back into the world. Yeah, I thought I was doing really well, because I think it's like you need, I might botch this number, like 16 or something moons to fill up the Odyssey, and then you can go do your thing. Um and I got them relatively quickly. And I was like, ha I'm such a good Mario player. Haha, that's 25 years of experience, biatches. And then I left the world. And then I found out there's like 60 something moons in that entire, in that level alone. And I was like, oh, there's Whoops. a lot. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> there's a lot to find. And I love that about it. Um, I'm also playing co-op with Jason. So he's playing as Cappy. And so <laughs> it's really cute. I refuse to play as Cappy. Um, so, I don't know why that makes me laugh so no, much. No, it's pretty. Like, <laughs> I know it's pretty great. Um, and so what he does is he controls Cappy, and he is able to basically like if you're Mario, you push. I think it's Y, and you throw Cappy, and he spins around, and you can do all these things. So he controls all of that. So all I can do is essentially jump and ground pound guys, and do all like the wall kicks and stuff like that. But I can't physically like throw anything. And he possesses the, the um, enemies for me, and I can see. how how it could be a frustrating experience but we play so similar that we're just kind of in sync so we really enjoy it um it would be great to play if you have like a little kid i mean it can't really screw you over too much but if you're kind of like super hardcore serious like i want to play mario don't play with someone else you have to just like find the right person to play with but it's it's really enjoyable it's really cute I, yeah, i'm I enjoying to play, it um only a couple hours today uh and i was i was a cranky pants today so I was, for whatever reason, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to download Mario because of all of the games, this is probably the one that's going to make me feel better about life. Um, and it was just, it was nice because it was relaxing mm -hmm. in that it wasn't overly difficult. Like I kind of, granted I'm only a couple hours in, but you know, I grasped the platforming really well. Uh, duh. And then, you know, the music, like you said, like mm -hmm. the colors, it was nice. And then... It allowed you to focus enough, like your mind's not like going elsewhere, right? Um, but not taking so much of it that you feel drained when you're playing it. And everything in that game is just so freaking happy. Even the things trying to like hurt you, they're cute and they're charming in their own way. So I was like, I can't be mad. You can't upset and, me. And I get to be like a T Rex for a minute and like oh, that was bash awesome. stuff, and that was really cathartic. I love how the game also tries to entice you to use motion controls. It's like, hey, you should try using these motion controls. And I'm like, never. The first thing I did was turn off the motion controls because that's something that originally turned me off from Super Mario Galaxy. Or was it Galaxy 2? It was one or the other. It could have been even both. Was the fact that you had to use motion controls for something or another. And I was like, nope, I refuse. And I just never played it. So yeah, I'm, I'm playing it in handheld mode. So I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm playing I it with the... Yeah, hmm? I thought there was specific things you had to do with motion controls. There may be, you but... half. Well, I don't know. Only a few hours. Only because Jason's controlling Cappy, he might be taking over the motion controls that I might have to. Like, I think, because I'm playing the pro controller, and I think to spin in a circle, like, 
you have to shake the, the pro controller. Yeah, you have to like he's, waggle. He's able to do that with the right Joy-Con, not the left Joy-Con because it doesn't sync. Ha <laughs> um, But <laughs> it's okay. I'm over it. But there is an option in the menu to turn off motion controls. I can't speak on like to what extent, but there oh, is. I need to go do that. Yeah. I haven't done that. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of um, the motion controls either. I could like totally like take or leave those. Yeah, leave them. Leave them. What I'm what I'm in to say here, because <laughs> um, I heard that they were causing people some frustrations in the handheld mode in particular. Mm. Um, so and not versus being docked. Obviously, you can't really. I guess you can use the motion controls if you're playing with the Joy Cons instead of like the Pro Controller, for example. Mm. But anyway, um, I'm glad you're having a good time with it. Um, uh, Steimer, mm-hmm. what have you been playing? What have I not been playing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> this past weekend, so I tweeted out a picture and I was like, here's my list of things. This is my to-do list. Mm-hmm. And it's extensive for, it's basically like, so I don't forget what I should be it's doing when I sit not down. To. I want to hear about Hellblade. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. We'll, we'll pick from the wheel because like, I don't know what to talk about. Um, so... I've been intrigued by Hellblade and it was sacrifice since I've heard a lot of people talking about it and they're, everyone's saying wear headphones and mm-hmm. just kind of dive in. There's a lot of things I appreciate about the game. So it follows the story of a young woman who um, essentially is, what do you call it? Schizophrenic? Mm. Um, in the sense she's got voices in her head and she, and you, if you wear headphones, the cool thing is the way that they have done the sound is like you hear them everywhere. Ooh. So it's real creepy, but really effective mm-hmm. in putting you in her shoes. And you, the whole thing is that she you you carry around a severed head in the back. What? And it's your I assume your ex-lovers. And mm-hmm. you're the, the whole point is you're going to hell in order to save his soul. Because I, he was killed in some way that um, his soul was, I don't know, banished or is being held captive. And so you're going through mm-hmm. and you're, you're attacking Norse gods, basically. Uh, so I killed one of them. I killed a fire god. And it's amazing. What I love so much about the game is that I am both terrified and feeling extremely empowered at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, I am, like, crapping my pants, but then also, like, ha! like yelling and like bl- like running swords first into people and it's just uh it's a really interesting combination i really feel like i'm her in a way and uh mm. i just think that they did a really beautiful job with it and the motion capture and everything is great too like the woman that they captured for this her eyes are amazing mm. just massive beautiful blue eyes that just like are sort of haunting in a way mm-hmm. uh and, and so yeah, so I've been I haven't played too much because it's it's a very intense game. Yeah, and it I do find it somewhat draining in a way because you're just like oh my god, mm-hmm. like I'm I feel like I'm going crazy while I'm playing this. Uh, so I have to like <laughs> take it in small doses. Mm-hmm. I watched a really moving video today, um, or I don't know when it was published, but I just watched it today. And I think uh, Ninja Theory published it. And it was of fans taking in-game screenshots and then layering those screenshots with quotes on them and sending them to Ninja Theory, essentially thanking them because this game, I admittedly don't know too much about it, but I believe it, dis- it um, 
it what's the word I'm looking for? Mental health, right? It talks touches on mental health, and Absolutely. yeah, and it's it was really moving to see what fans had written to Ninja Theory. Like no one understood me my whole life. They watched me play this game, or I had them play this game, and now we're able to connect stuff like that. And so I I saw that trailer too. Oh man, that was beautiful. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, it's so rare that we get games that really so profoundly are able to encapsulate something as um, difficult to um, articulate as mm-hmm. mental health. Yeah. Um, obviously, we talk about mental health every week on the show because of our involvement with Take This. And it's one of those things that a lot of people have trouble talking about and that they struggle to communicate. And even if you know what you're feeling, trying to articulate that to somebody else is something that's truly challenging for many of us. And mm-hmm. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about about Hellblade and it's it's still in my tray of games to play yep (laughs) um but uh I'm glad Simer that you've been spending some time with it yeah I highly recommend it I think it's it's just so I I love when developers are able to have little passion projects like this Mm -hmm. that are really under the radar for the most part yeah yeah well um I have been playing a lot of things as well um (laughs) But uh, I, I finally forced myself to put down Middle Earth: Shadow of War. Um, I conquer. I've conquered two overlords now, and I kind of. How many feel, are there? I don't know how many there are in total. I would have to look it up. But I have two regions now fully conquered. Um, but it just is starting to feel a little formulaic. Like there isn't enough story content. Like there's a little too much grind in between the pieces of story content. And I heard it's only going to get worse as Uh. I get deeper into the game, that there's only more grind. And that's disappointing. I was really pleased with how visually different some of the regions look. I think the level design is really fantastic. And I still am having a lot of fun playing that game. But considering how much else I need to play, um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this down for a little bit. And I'm going to um, pick up Assassin's Creed Origins. So this has been one of my um, other very anticipated games. I've said many times in the show that I am a gigantic Assassin's Creed fan and that I've been a fan of the franchise for a really long time. And so um, I was really pumped to play as Bayek because I think that he's a very different kind of assassin. Um, so far, he seems his personality hasn't really shown quite yet um i just made it to alexandria so i'm clearly very early in the game i have a long way to go but i'm really enjoying the um artistic design the um the the world building how it really truly feels authentic things that i've talked to you guys about previously when you know we've been to preview events for assassin's creed um i do love the um system of progression now that I finally get to choose because in a lot of these events that we go to we don't really get to choose in the progression tree they'll usually give you a few points to play with but they'll tend to build out certain things for you because they're like we want you to see this specific feature of the game and so they'll kind of pre-build it but I like being able to build it myself and kind of play 
my assassin the way that I want to. Um, the story started quite differently than a lot of the other Assassin's Creed's did. It's really kind of light from a narrative perspective. They really are pushing this role-playing mechanic in the game and really just get you out into the open world very quickly to start the grind. And I don't know how I feel about it. Have you ladies put some time in with Origins yet? Have you heard yes. of loot boxes and loot chests, Andrea? They will solve all of your problems. Oh, no. Wait, yeah. No. No, I mean, it's... Listen, like, so this is not the first Assassin's Creed that has had microtransactions for items in single player. Like, they've been in Assassin's Creed for quite some time, but they aren't the same type of loot boxes that you get in other games where there's, like, a roll. You pay for in-game currency, and then you use that currency to buy specific items. And that I don't have a problem with. Because that allows me to pick and choose exactly which weapon I want, which outfit I want. And it's not like me paying money to like randomly get something that I don't want, I'm not going to use. And that is why I'm okay with it. Because I don't need to buy that currency to get that special mace or to get that special bow. But if I want that special mace, I can do it. I can pay the extra money and get it. And that's the difference here between what we're seeing in the loot boxes in Shadow of War, for example. I finally got to a point where I understood what those special orcs are for, even though I feel like they're kind of wasteful because they Mm. rolled at a much lower level than I needed them to be. And then when they showed up, they were like 10 levels below the dude that they were facing off against. And I was like, this seems pointless. (laughs) Yeah, that seems weird. What's happening here? Um, But I'm tempted to buy some... Uh, in-game currency in Assassin's Creed to get some some cool gear. But what I love about Ubisoft is the UB Play. And a lot of people forget that they have this. So when you're logged into your UB Play account and you're playing random uh, Ubisoft games, you earn these UB Play credits. And then you can spend those credits through the UB Play hub to unlock specific things in specific games. In Assassin's Creed, for example, I got to unlock an Altair outfit. I got to unlock an Ezio off it. And there's a whole bunch of different weapons that you can unlock with your UB play points. And a lot of times I forget that I have like a whole grip of those points that I can spend <laughs> on stuff. Um, and I like that they reward people for playing their games and say, hey, you don't necessarily need to spend money. You just have to play our games. Obviously, you need to spend money to play the games because they don't have <laughs> free to play games. But that being said, I think it's a nice... Um, compliment to all of the in-game microtransactions we're seeing in AAA experiences these days for a publisher like Ubisoft to say, hey, we know that you spend money in our games. We're going to reward you by giving you credits for playing the game and getting certain milestones in each of our games that you can then take to this online marketplace and buy in-game items to help complement your experience. And um, just as a reminder, because I always forget that I have these points, which is why I have so many of them now. Um, But you can, you know, sign up for a free email account and start earning points and then buy in-game items, buy special weapons and outfits and things like that for for Bayek in Assassin's Creed Origins. but yeah, I'm I'm having a great time with it. I like that it, the map isn't super overwhelming. Like Are you has- joking me? Because I was just about to ask. Like when I so I size wise, yes, it's big. But I mean, it's not as dense. There's not as much like like there's not as many little icons on the map as there have been in previous. At least not yet for me. Well, so this was the moment I. Are had. you joking? No, I, I because I I started playing this game and I'm not usually an Assassin's Creed person. I haven't really played one in a very long time. Uh, I'm enjoying myself with this one. 
However, when I was like, because so I'm I'm on my way to Alexandria. Obviously, I'm not high level enough to get there yet. So like, there's little things you do along the way to help level you level you up. Um, and I'm sort of on that path. And I was like, oh, let me just look. Let me just look. Let me look at this world. And I almost had heart palpitations <laughs> because it just kept it's going. Big, yeah. It just kept. I was like, seriously, is it? Oh, oh nope. There's more. Oh my god. Like there's just so much map and i don't know how densely populated any of these places are because i haven't i haven't reached them yet and they're all grayed out uh but some of them look pretty big and i and the levels are insane i was just like oh no because <laughs> yeah. yeah no if I, you're, if I, you're somebody who who only like buys one game usually and wants to really dig into this this is great for you like you yeah. will not be bored for quite some time uh, but if you're someone content. like me and i have so many other games to play. I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, especially since it, when you first zoom out, the regions that are around the opening region of, uh, of, of Siwa, uh, where you're like level five, <laughs> yeah. um, are like level 40. And you're like, wow, I can't just walk over there. I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I, so there's a reason why I'm playing it on easy. And difficulty levels haven't historically been a thing in Assassin's Creed. Um, and I think it's interesting that they've, you know, added them into the franchise. And I have no shame about playing this game on, on easy because, it, as you mentioned, Snymer, it's massive, and if I want to see as much of it as possible, I need to get through it as quickly as possible. And from the demos that I've played of this game, it ramps up quite ridiculously um, as far as difficulty, meaning you're going to have to do a lot of grinding in between story missions in order to be able to even have a crack at some of these guards. They've radically changed the combat, um, meaning you really have to focus on dodging, on parrying. Um, you're not nearly as powerful as previous assassins have been, uh, particularly in the beginning of the game. Um, as is tradition with a lot of RPGs, a lot of RPGs for the first 20 hours or so, like you're like baby ass baby mode, right? <laughs> like you can't do anything. Nope. Um, and that is really obvious here. And it's such a departure from the Assassin's Creed series that it kind of took me aback, you know, and, um, I've talked to some other people that are playing and they really don't like it. They're like, this is not what I want from an Assassin's Creed game. I want to feel powerful. I want to feel like I'm a badass, and I don't. And mm. I said, just stick with it. Like all RPGs, <laughs> you got to get over that one hump. And then once you're in it, the progression starts to feel a little bit more rewarding. You start to feel more powerful. Your weapons and gear starts to feel a little bit more meaningful. Um, but that's where I'm at. I'm right. I think I'm getting close to that cusp where I'm like over that hump. But um, until then, I'm <laughs> keeping it on easy mode. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I'm still playing. The only thing that I've bumped down to easy uh, I normally just play on normal and I'm playing Assassin's on normal currently. If it gets too like annoying, I'll bump it down. But uh, it's Wolfenstein. Mm. Oh, that, yeah. I followed suit on you with like what you did, Andrea. And I was just like, you know what? I just looked at the list of things I had to do <laughs> and went, I'm fine having my bonnet and my binky. Yep. I'm just yeah, bringing it on. It. And I've had a great time with it. Mm hmm. I'm having a great time in Wolfenstein. Yeah. And I don't know that I would if I was playing it on a hard it's, mode. It's tricky because certain games, and admittedly, I haven't picked up Horizon in a very long time, and I'm very ashamed of that. But that game, I enjoy the combat so much that I don't 
mind plane that has difficulty modes right i'm not just pulling this out yes. of my ass okay yeah well, i don't mind. i don't remember it's been a long time i'm um, pretty sure it does i'm Let pretty look. Sure, yeah look i don't mind a game like that where the combat is really compelling it's really fun and it you know it just requires some like strategy that's not too difficult i don't mind playing on normal mode but if it's something you know that i'm in it for the story like assassin's creed i'll definitely do easy south park i've even bumped that down to easy not because the combat's hard but because i'm playing south park more for the story and the combat isn't like super amazing enough to the point where i'm like i need to like get super strategic with this it's like no this is a south park game yeah. <laughs> but i feel like even playing that on normal because i'm still playing it too mm-hmm. is basically easy mode <laughs> it is or maybe maybe it's just because we play a lot of RP, turn-based Rpgs so no like, all right you're right normal on south park is really it is easy but when you easy. when you bump it down to easy they don't need as many hits to go down so it goes quicker oh, okay yeah. it just like lowers their health pool basically basically yeah that's my understanding oh, okay. yes there are difficulty modes in horizon cool um you were not wrong about that yay gold star <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm definitely um, having fun playing Wolfenstein, another game I had to set aside. I know we spoke about Wolfenstein at length last week um, to play Assassin's Creed because I still have to get to um, Mario, but I'm definitely going to go back and finish that game on <laughs> Super Baby Mode because <laughs> that's, that's just the way it's going to go down. Because I like feeling powerful. I like feeling superhuman. Wolfenstein. Yeah, like, and I, I like the fantasy of it, and I think that that is, plays into it a lot, and um, if you like to play punishingly difficult games, if you're a Souls fan, or, you know, like, roguelites are your jam, good on ya. You play the hardest difficulty, <laughs> and you do it. I'll give you a clap on the back and a round of applause, but it's not, it's not for me. <laughs> no. Yeah. no, thank you. The, the funny thing, uh, I think I texted you guys about it, but while I was playing Wolfenstein, I, I got the gun from one of the people, the, but that you had mentioned last week, Andrea, and I'm not going to say who. And then, but what it is, is essentially like you, a grenade launcher, kind of, um, but you're, it's gas cans instead of like an actual grenade. But whatever. It explodes. It makes things explode in a really satisfying way. So I'm feeling pretty badass. And I'm running around and there's like really big tanky guys who have, I think it's like electric shooting at you or whatever. Uh, and somehow one of these guys snuck up on me. I'm wearing headphones too, mind you. So like I have decent hearing. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. I screamed bloody murder. I was so sh- like just surprised by my character getting flung across the screen. <laughs> and then I looked around and I was like, I really hope my neighbors don't call the cops. Like, because that was a murderous yep. scream. Yeah. But no cops came. So I was okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it, it's a, fu- it's a fun game. It's, a beautiful game and the story is really well done um the writing's really good yeah I, machine games really knows how to put a single player narrative fps together if you are thinking of skipping that game and you like first person shooters i highly recommend against skipping it i highly recommend taking the chance and playing wolfenstein even if it's one of those games that you wait and you buy used or you borrow a friend's copy um it's just such a great great experience a really well-designed game um but there's also um i know that you both have played life is strange before the storm episode two so we haven't talked about that yet but i want to give people a heads up we've been waiting to do a spoiler cast so we're going to do it next week 
putting the flag down right now. So <laughs> if you want to be part of the spoiler cast, which is going to be, again, look, we'll do it like we did the last time. We'll put it in the final segment. You have now a warning, a week to catch up and play. If you haven't played either episode, um, play the both or just play the second episode and we'll spoiler cast that next week with all of you guys. Um, and hopefully we can, um, you know, figure out what's going on with this tempest theory that Alexa Ray brought into, into dun, play dun, dun. in the last spoiler cast. Um, but um, I want, I'm looking forward to playing um, a lot more stuff. Um, Brittany and I um, have gotten some hands-on time with the Xbox One X. So Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft sent us some, some, uh, some hardware to test out. Uh, the unfortunate problem is, is uh, the, by the time we're taping this episode and when the embargo launches, which is when the podcast airs, um, not very many titles have gotten 4K support because the system is not out in the wild yet. So the game developers have a few more days to get their patches together for the uh, enhanced for Xbox One X, the 4K updates. I specifically went and bought a new 4K TV just to play uh, the Xbox One X on, yeah. and even even with the PS4 Pro, man, I right? did not realize how much of a difference a 4K TV makes. Oh, dude, it's insane. <laughs> I think I said this on the last week or another week's podcast I was on last week. It was so we have two TVs in our living room, one 4K, one non 4K. We were both playing Destiny, and even like when you're in orbit, like every little detail is so much brighter and more vivid and crisp. It's like ah, I get it. Yeah, and the the HDR I think is the underappreciated feature here that both the Xbox One S and the PlayStation Four Pro currently have, and 4K TVs do well. And some, I don't know, I think some 1080p TVs have an HDR mode, but um, that to me is the more impressive feature than just the 4K resolution because I play Gears of War four in 4K, and that's a true 4K. Uh, game so like not um i don't believe that's letterboxed is that checkerboxed checkerboard 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 what it is checker Um, something (laughs) it's it's a true 4k resolution and it looked good but i thought that that game looked good on the xbox one so Mm -hmm. um i didn't i didn't vividly notice i also was playing horde i wasn't playing um story mode where there's the cutscenes, which are mm. obviously much higher resolution than the gameplay is so i need to spend a little bit more time with that um but um it looked great i actually spent a ridiculous amount of time with disneyland adventures oh no kidding <laughs> what <Yes. laughs> so this game originally launched with connect um so it's quite it's quite an old game actually and it got a uh, like a 4k patch for oh my the god, Xbox my god. put a 4k patch out for that i know but it looks really good you guys and i had a lot of fun playing some of these little mini games have you guys played this game no no, no. um well maybe <laughs> no. i'll force you to play it when you come over next what what was the blu-ray dvd was it planet earth 2 that came with the xbox planet one earth 2 oh my god so that's what i got to spend the most time with because i just did this maybe a couple hours ago um and holy crap like the hairs on a sloth did you have you watched it yet andrea no i haven't i've seen a bunch of uh planet earth but oh. i haven't put that 4k blu-ray 
into the Xbox One X yet, but I am super pumped. I know that the 4K Blu-ray player was a big feature for a lot of gamers who were like, listen, just that feature alone is worth buying an Xbox One X for, according to a lot of people that I've talked to on, on Twitter and things like that. But yeah, but Brit, is it is it life changing? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's life changing, but there are there are certain scenes uh, in Planet Earth too, like if it's it was like um, an island episode and there's the crystal blue water kind of looked like Bora Bora and there's like a sloth swimming in it and like the vivid colors of the blue and the clarity and even like the hairs on the sloth's back were like so well defined I could see like the fleas on it not really that's an exaggeration but it is so (laughs) beautiful I was like I get it now this is why it's so pretty and then I started Assassin's Creed Origins for like 10 minutes and then I had to shoot this damn show so I couldn't play any more of it don't worry we'll let you we'll let you get back to it yeah so as of right now the 4k updates for both middle earth shadow of war and assassin's creed origins have not uh have not launched because there still is a few more days before the xbox one x officially releases to the world but we'll be giving you guys an update hopefully next week when more of these updates go online the thing that i need to impress upon you that if you are considering or maybe you've pre-ordered your xbox one x If you do not have an external hard drive that is at least four terabytes and you are like me and you hate deleting your games, (laughs) then you might want to remedy that situation and get yourself an external hard drive. Here's why. I downloaded um, Gears of War 4 on the Xbox One X without transferring anything from my Xbox One S. Just booted the thing up, downloaded Gears of War 4, because when I logged in, you know, it sees all the games in your library because it's attached to your gamer tag. 103 gigabytes <laughs> for Gears of War 4 with the 4K texture pack. Good what to know. What was it before? Like 50, I think. Oh, my God. It doubled the size? Doubled the size. And that is, and the Xbox One X ships with a one terabyte hard drive, which is not enough space. (laughs) It's, uh, I was like, the first thing I thought of was like, oh my God, what, why, why did they not automatically include at least a two terabyte hard drive in this thing? Um, So they've made it really easy for plug and play for swapping out if you currently have an Xbox One S. Um, the power cord is the same. The HDMI cable is the same. Um, by the way, it is a high-speed HDMI cable, so you can't just use any HDMI cable with your Xbox One X. Either use the one that comes with the console or use the one that came with your Xbox One S or buy a specific high-speed cable because it will degrade the signal going in and out of your television. Should um, I do that for my PS4 Pro? Yes. Oh. The quality of your cables Oops. matters, people. <laughs> um, can't just use some random HDMI cable you found in a drawer somewhere. I got my Amazon one. <laughs> the Amazon no, girl. Don't buy the budget Amazon choice one. You got to get the good one. Um, and um, what they've allowed you to do is if you have pre-ordered or if you know you're going to buy an Xbox One X, you get your external hard drive, plug it into your Xbox, you preload everything copy it onto your external hard drive. And then when your Xbox One X arrives, you plug it in and you can start playing immediately. You don't have to wait for anything to download except the patches. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like you don't have to do what I did and download the entire game. Does it transfer from the OG Xbox One 
Like, do, well, can I, like, because what I did with the PS4 Pro is, it, like, we attached it with, we, me, I live here alone, um, <laughs> put in, like, an Ethernet cable, and then it, it, it took a couple hours, but it transferred everything from my PlayStation 4 to my PlayStation 4 Pro. I was hoping to do that with the Xbox One, but I have, like, the super old one. Um, I think you can also do it that way. You can use a network to transfer everything. It just, like you said, it will take several hours um, to That's transfer. Fine. So if you want to cut what down... What am I doing? Yeah, well, if you want to cut down on your time and you have plans to get this console and you know when you're getting it and you want you already have an Xbox One and you want to get pre... You want to get ready in advance, you know, it's nice that they've added that feature on. It's also really nice that your game... say Your data from your saves... Um, automatically transfers as well with your gamer tag, which I did not know was a feature, which was great because when I started playing Shadow Four on my Xbox One X, I was like, "Oh, I didn't transfer my save, but look at that, it transferred automatically." Technology. Thanks, Xbox, Xbox has Live a Gold. better cloud system than PlayStation. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to spending a lot more time in with in the Xbox ecosystem. I lived there uh, during the 360 era. Um, and I've been really missing it. Um, I saw my avatar for the first time in a really long time. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I put that outfit on you. <laughs> You're like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> so sad. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to really putting it through its paces. Um, but for now, that's really all we've got for you. Unless, Britt, you have some other stuff you'd like to mention. Negative. Okay, yeah, so don't be surprised when you see those gigantic downloads. So, <laughs> something to be aware of if you're a digital-only person, that the files for the 4K games are real big. Yay! Really big. <laughs> um, okay, so that'll wrap up our hands-on segment for this week. Um, when we come back, we have a very interesting topic to talk about, and um, you'll find out what it is right after this break. everybody uh this is the final segment of the what's cooking is podcast and this week's off topic discussion or grab bag discussion i should say because it's clearly on topic is um sponsored by one of our patrons lincoln davis from polyarch games the creators of moss so they want to know not they lincoln has um sponsored our at our patreon tier where he gets to pick what we talk about for a segment and he said that he would love us to talk about what vr means for the industry what studios thought leaders are pushing the agenda and what sort of content should gamers expect demand from studios with this and the next generation of hardware living in an i want it now culture people often forget about the development time needed to support a new piece of hardware and with a technology so new and transformative in how we experience games it is going to take developers time to figure out what works but that doesn't mean there can't be great content out there now 
So this is a really interesting topic, especially given um, the CCP news this week mm-hmm. and all of the PSVR games that we heard about at Players Games Week. Um, ladies, what do you think VR means for the video game industry? I think it's always kind of going to be the redheaded stepchild a little bit. Really? Maybe it will maybe it will upgrade at some point to be <laughs> to the be redheaded stepchild. So many people are investing in it right now. I don't for me, for like grumpy gamer me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted Stimer like, to start cuz I know she's grumpy VR Stimer. It's just more of like when he, in the question, or it's like, you know, technology is so new and transformative in the way we experience games. And I guess for the most part, I don't find it to be transformative. I find it to be quite similar, especially if you do what Brit does and you play with a regular controller. Um, you really just have a thing on your head and like the camera is not your head. And that's that's the new the new thing there. Um that being said, maybe it does just take time and maybe developers will figure out a way to make it more interesting to me and more in transformative in a way. Uh, just don't see it right now. And even with all the stuff that they just announced, um, I don't even see it necessarily growing yet. I see a lot of similar things and stuff like that Brit just said sort of looks like upgraded tech demos. Um, I don't know, Brett. Yeah. So when you're like, I feel like it's kind of the same thing wearing a a headset on your head and playing with a regular controller. I mean, I can understand how that's how it would appear. But I will say that wearing the VR headset does immerse you into a game. Unlike I can't get immersed the same way staring at um, a screen unless uh, compared to having a VR headset. It's a much more like emotional experience, if that makes sense. That's what I'm trying to say. So so for me, and I've said this before on this show, my ultimate dream is to somehow be like totally inserted into a game, whether it's like augmented reality, virtual, however, I want it to feel like seamless and I want to be able to explore dungeons and climb castles and just do cool stuff. And we're definitely not anywhere close to that right now. But I think what VR does is just kind of like that baby step that right now is kind of like this awkward teenager where it's like, I'm kind of going through puberty, kind of not. I don't know what to make of my life. People don't know what to make of me. Where am I going? What are my dreams and ambitions? But <laughs> give it several years. It's going to be like a beautiful, like awesome it's thing. It's going to go to college. Right. And it's not ever going to be everyone's thing. Like there are people like you, Steimer, who might not ever like VR and that's totally fine. But personally, I love the immersion and the technology just isn't there yet where it's like, 4k like seamless like no hiccups like you know there still is some motion sickness um so currently what i think it means is i think it's foreshadowing and it's paving the way for a really interesting um immersive immersive experience but it's only going to if it can survive that awkward period and that's the thing that i don't know i don't know how much these developers are going to make their money back on any of these things and that's the key because if developers don't have the luxury of time they need money to function well so yeah no the, i, I yeah. agree with you and i think that's an important point that um there are people who are going to lose millions there's just been mm-hmm. too much explosive growth in the vr sector to sustain profitability especially long term because the technology 
the technology is so far ahead of the software right now that that's where we're seeing this kind of gap in in playable experiences and why you kind of have this idea of there only being, you know, like glorified tech demos out there because the hardware is like ready to go. And while it's still being refined and um, they're still like tweaking it and improving it as we go along, it's the software that's really dragging behind. It's almost as if the hardware launched too soon for people who are creating on the software to keep up with it. You know, it feels like there's a couple standout VR experiences that are out there, particularly in gaming. Mm-hmm. Like if we talk about just about VR and AR in the video game space, um, instead of taking into account like some of these other c- more cinematic um, experiences and things that are happening in other industries. Um, it feels to me like there's only a couple people who have really got the grasp of how to, to uh, design for this thing. It's interesting, and I'm really curious to see how Respawn does with their newly announced AAA shooter, right? I think this is going to be one of the first games we're going to see where it's going to be like, okay, like, here's a developer who we know is extremely capable at making shooters. Let's see what they can do with a VR headset. I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to be dramatic and say that's going to be the make or break it point. But I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention to that launch. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. if it doesn't do well, then that doesn't bode well for VR in general. Um, I mean, I think there's something to that. But just because a major developer missteps on a piece of software doesn't mean that the hardware is doomed, right? Like, you know, just because a game flops doesn't mean the system that it flopped on is is going to have trouble right it's more that like i haven't seen crazy sales numbers for anything granted i haven't really paid much attention to vr so take it with a grain of salt but it's more that like i think if respawn comes out and falls flat and it's not because the software isn't good Mm. then i think you'll see like it's going to similar be a similar thing to the wii where it sold like gangbusters, but the attach rate was terrible because people would buy it, but they wouldn't necessarily buy software for it. And that's my concern with VR right now, as I think a lot of people may have purchased the headsets, but that doesn't mean they're purchasing software. Um, and like they may have forgotten about it already. Like people's VR sets may be in their closets at this point <laughs> because there's just nothing really yeah. out there. Um, so. I mean, I can speak on that as someone who owns a PSVR, Oculus Rift, and a Vive. I mean, I haven't touched them in months. And it's not because I don't enjoy the experiences. I think it's just... Uh, it, I do enjoy the experiences, but they're they're not compelling enough for me to want to choose to do that over, let's say, play Assassin's Creed Origins or Mario or Zelda. And that's kind of like what I was saying earlier is, you know, because we are so early and these are all tech demos. If you look at all, not all, but I would say most, the majority of these games that were just announced at the Paris Games Week, for example, these VR games, if these weren't VR games, everyone would be like, what is this like this is bull like and that's okay to a certain extent but the fact that we're still in that space and it's been so a few years since this has kind of become a thing it's a little concerning well um let me just read you some some statistics that i just pulled up um educate us this comes from um uh, statista.com 
And it's the virtual reality gaming sales revenue worldwide from 2015 to 2020. So clearly those later years projections of where it's going to go. I mean, that's how statistics work, though, right? (laughs) That's true. So this graph represents data on the virtual reality video gaming sales revenue worldwide. And the sources estimate the global VR gaming market size in 2016 will be worth $3.6 billion in U.S. dollars. Now, the number is expected to grow to $22.9 billion by the end of 2020. So that's quite but a lot of projections dollars. and not actual numbers. Right, right. Hold on. So I want to know, what, what, are the, what how well did Mr. Statistics Man do <laughs> at his job? <laughs> Global virtual reality rev- revenues will um, earn $7.17 billion by the end of 2017. Is that hardware or software? It says VR industry revenue. So that I believe includes both. I'm because obviously, at, like, you know, that's both. I'm looking at an article, article from June of this year. Um, let's see. PlayStation VR has sold more than 1 million copies since launch in October, and 5.25 million VR games have been sold so far. And the average play session is 25 minutes. Which is why they keep the experiences pretty short, right? Why there's not a lot of full-length games. Because um, this is why I don't play a lot of VR, is that I can't keep the headset on my head for extended periods of time because it gets uncomfortable. And I think this is one of the big challenges of virtual reality right now, is that it's not like a television where multiple people can sit down in front of it and have the same experience. Only one person can play VR in a household at a time. And it's going to fit on everybody's face differently, meaning the way that their eyes focus in and actually get the immersion in sync with what your brain is seeing, mm-hmm. you know, is is different for everybody to be, depending on like the bone structure in your face and how wide apart your eyes are. And that's why so many people have such varying experiences with, with virtual reality is that the hardware itself is so difficult to calibrate and adjust person to person that a lot of people just kind of say, forget about it. I don't even want to bother. Like Samer has once said, she doesn't want a box in her face. I don't. I don't want a box in my face. And I don't definitely don't want a box in my face for like 60 hours. That's never going to happen. No, no. And I, and I, I agree with you. But that, that said, I think that there's you know, a lot of promise and what we're mm-hmm. seeing. And for me, I prefer games that don't look hyper real because I think the technology with graphics and VR just isn't there yet in order to make it look realistic. Instead, it just ends up looking really weird, like the uncanny valley, right? Of mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. this this clearly looks off. Um, so that's why I'm really excited about games like Moss, you know, games like Echo Arena. Um, Stifled. Games- yeah, you know, games that are very uh, graphically um, simple, not realistic. Stylized? Yeah, sim- stylized is a word. I mean, but they they look like they have a specific art um, mm-hmm. influence that isn't based in realism. Like, yeah, they have a very particular yeah. point of view. I would be curious to hear from listeners, if you are a VR enthusiast and you love long RPGs while in VR, because I feel like what the industry is, we're kind of in this weird spot, like I said, awkward teenager analogy. Do we do we deliver short, enjoyable experiences or do we deliver long, enjoyable experience? Is there room for long experiences on VR? Is it going to last? People will get motion sickness. People will get annoyed having a headset. People will get hot. People will be tethered. You know, so 
I think maybe we'll see more and more people saying, okay, the sweet spot are the shorter games, which I think we're kind of seeing already, the shorter experiences. Um, but I would love but to hear. What's the price point on those games again? I feel like they're still rel- seem relatively expensive for such a short experience. I think I remember reading an article on this once, but I can't. It's a little fuzzy. Obviously, it all depends on the game. Like, I've purchased games that are like $5. I think I've purchased some that are like, here we go. Uh, I thought there was like a $30. $20, $5, $40, $50. What's a $50 game? That's a game called Kronos, and I believe I played that. Let me, I played uh, Kronos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah like a, it's, like a, it's like an action RPG. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and what's cool, what's cool about Kronos is that you don't play in the third-person perspective. The camera is all... Um, uh, from are all stationary. It's almost like you're viewing it through a security camera, but like the quality oh. is really amazing. It's, so yeah. it's not like a security camera footage, but like okay. yeah, imagine yeah. that the that- camera's placed like up on a wall and you see the character moving around, but the camera remains stationary, which is why mm. it's easier for me to play a game like that because the camera it's not jostling around a bunch so it's I didn't get nauseous while playing that game because it was like the camera yeah. just in one spot. That makes sense. The Climb is a $50 game. So have you played The Climb yet, Steimer? I, uh, I played some. Th- no, I played Edge of No, uh, Edge of Nowhere. Edge of Nowhere. Home. Okay. So The Climb is another interesting game. That's the one where you obviously are climbing. And um, I played that demo. But again, it's like, is that worth a $50 price tag for something so relatively simple? It's it's just weird. It's weird and awkward right now. So I it is weird. I, I enjoy VR and I believe in it. And I haven't touched my headsets in a while, but that's okay because I have I, I don't want to say the word faith. I have hope that it's going to turn into something even better than what it is. I mean, that so they can wait. I have hope that it will be at bars. Oh, God, and I can be like. I'm going to play the James Bond game. No. Although, actually, this that's a terrible, terrible idea. idea it is a terrible idea. As I heard myself saying it, I realized no. that I would be drunk and trying to do that, and it would be awful. No, no, no. no, no yeah. True story. I When I first started VR, I couldn't wear the headset for more than maybe five or ten minutes, and I slowly built up my resistance to it. And what helped me the most was a shot of whiskey and some ginger ale. But well, you then. think a shot of whiskey cures pretty much everything. But it does. <laughs> try it i mean <laughs> i'm not, not saying it wrong. doesn't but <laughs> there are people out there who don't drink or can't drink um but um but if you can yes try brit's method a shot of whiskey like a spoonful and some of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. um but i i want to bring up a story we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh when facebook announced the oculus go so mm. this of course is the um, not mobile, but it's supposed to be like more mobile than the Rift because it's uh, not tethered to your PC. So just as a refresher, this is going to be $199, so half the price of the Rift. It's coming sometime in early 2018, and it, it does not require plugging into a mobile phone or a PC to play VR. So I think this is something where that could potentially be game changing for VR if the quality is there. Cause the big problem right now specifically for games is that, you know, experiences that are much smaller, like you get in like gear VR, for example, versus mm. like what you get in Vive, like the, the range between those types of software is gigantic. Um, and that's why, you know, you're not seeing a lot of people gaming on gear VR um, because they're just 
not that great. Mm-hmm. But I would be interested to see what kind of games we're going to see on Oculus Go because I think that might be able to convert people if you don't have to be tethered to a PC, if you don't have to be tethered to a phone, and if they can provide quality that probably is never going to come close to what Vive is providing, but can maybe provide some good short experiences that make it worth, you know, taking out and keeping on a table so that you can just like slide it on, play for 20, 30 minutes, take it off, and then you're done, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. require a specific room or a standalone setup or anything like that. And I know we're talking about what VR means for the video game industry because that's our podcast. I'm laughing because I'm just thinking like still face sweat. Like, I don't know. Like... (laughs) I mean, like, face sweat it happens. Look at controller sweat, hand sweat. I know, but like I break out really easily, so I can't do VR. God, <laughs> VR is just not made for you, Steimer. It's it's official. You're done. But what I was saying was, I know we talk about gaming relative or VR relative to gaming, but also there's other experiences on VR too that might take off for the Oculus Go, like you were saying, Andrea. Just like I showed my parents um, VR, and one of the videos of my dad went extremely viral and it was amazing but there's other experiences like you should take them to disneyland or they can go like explore places they've never been before and i think that also hasn't um taken off as much as it will eventually especially when we get like these lower priced uh vr headsets yeah i think it's a really cool i think that there are some interesting use cases for vr mm-hmm. uh i don't i don't think i'm the target audience for them <laughs> no, but really? i think that there's like <laughs> Shut up. You're definitely not. Um, well, you're yeah, like, like, you're um, just saying, but like, my face. Ugh. But you know what? It's hard to get your skin this nice. <laughs> you do have nice skin. I don't want to ruin it. You do have a 20-minute nice experience that's not even that good. Oh, God. The salt has been thrown. <laughs> but I might have to, like, animate saying, a salt shaker on you. <gasps> take, That'd take, be great. Take, I'll just get a, a salt shaker that's empty and, like, shake it out. But, um... I do think it's interesting, like you said, like there are people who have either mobility issues or financial issues that can't experience certain types of things. And I think that this is an interesting um, area for them because it is something where they they could feel that Mm. or they could imagine it at least and and be a little bit closer to those types of experiences. And I think that that's really cool. And I I like VR for those things more than I like it for gaming. I agree that I think the most exciting developments happening in the space of virtual reality are in experiences outside of video games. I think that's really going to be the transformative part of the virtual reality business. Um, But, you know, that... That industry is also still behind in software because even though they're not games, they still require software to run. And we just haven't seen a lot of things that are up and running yet, like V-Real, for example. Are you guys familiar with this platform? Mm -mm. No. So V-Real is a company that's creating a virtual reality interface where you essentially have an avatar and then you meet in a virtual space and you can chat with friends and hang out with friends and play games together and spectate. So when I went and saw their demo about a year ago now... um, I like had a little avatar and I was in a room with a, um, the head of the company who also had his own avatar and he had his own headset on. So hypothetically, like he's like across the country and I'm, you know, we're friends and we're meeting in virtual reality and they have motion tracking on your face. So like when you talk, your avatar's mouth moves. So it feels really immersive. Um, like you're actually talking to the other person instead of just like a blank avatar, right? Like the, the, the eyebrows move, the mouth moves and everything. And then what you can do is you can spectate games. So they had like a mobile-like um, 
demo hypothetically like imagine we're both big fans of league and we're gonna watch like a, a league of legends uh, t- uh tournament together we would we go into the virtual space together and then we like sit in this virtual audience and w- watch the game and you can like fly down with the camera and get yeah. up close to like the minion rushes or you can pull out and look at the top-down overview of the entire map and you do it with your friend like in a virtual space now that's the kind of technology that i think is really exciting mm-hmm. because the idea that you can connect with people in a virtual space meaning and putting together an experience that's more than just hearing a voice over an internet connection, which is what we currently have available with chat. Um, That to me is super exciting, but it's still so new. Um, That technology is, they're much farther along now than they were, but it still was not like, I could tell it's not even, it wasn't even close to being ready for, for use, but obviously they've made strides since then. But that's the kind of stuff that I think is really exciting about where VR is going. It's like Second Life, but on crack with the (laughs) way that the facial animation is going. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. But, I mean, the problem, again, is like I I still think that a lot of this stuff is really far off from being polished, Mm -hmm. from being highly accessible to millions of people. And I don't know when that day is going to come. I think it's still going to be at least two to three years, if not longer, before the software catches up to the hardware. Yeah, if that, I mean, could be even longer. Yeah. That's generous. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we will keep an eye on the virtual reality space. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly a lot of games to play on PSVR that were announced um, this week at Paris Games Week. And clearly, you know, Steam has uh, sales on VR games all the time. And um, I think that we're definitely going to see more of VR at E3 next year. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Too many people have invested. Too big to fail, as it were. Um, But thank you, uh, Lincoln, for sponsoring the segment and for um, providing us some interesting topics for discussion. If you guys ever want us to talk about something specific, you can sponsor your own segment. Head on over to patreon.com slash what's good games. Check out our different reward tiers. We have lots of cool stuff. And did you guys know that for just a dollar, one dollar, you can become part of our Patreon community. And it's one dollar a month. Think of what you can buy for one dollar a month. Not much. But on Patreon, you get behind the scenes photos, exclusive videos, access to our community feed, and it helps support what's good games, and we would greatly appreciate that support. Um, ladies, do you have any other plugs for our lovely listeners and watchers of what's good games? I do. How about our social media channels? Whoa. Yeah, master of social media. Oh my god. Okay, ladies what are they, and gentlemen, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash what's good underscore games, facebook.com slash what's good games, and now facebook.com slash lights off show. Um, Instagram, don't go to our Instagram, there's not a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> youtube.com slash what's good games and what's good games.com come chat with me i'm there all the time yay she's everywhere she's like the eye of sauron (laughs) it's true um and we do have a holiday merch design coming very soon um, as soon it's as it's ready to go live, we'll, of course, let you know across all of those social channels. So if you're not following us, you should. 
we'd greatly appreciate the help. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have a great weekend. Catch up on your list of to-do things. Steimer actually wrote hers out, which I think is adorable. Um, yeah. And we will be back to. <laughs> next week. Don't forget, we're going to do our Life is Strange spoiler cast. So play Life is Strange before the storm, before next week. Have a great weekend. Mwah. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.